0: Have you ever been called a band geek, a theater nerd, cyber dork, studio rat, gamer punk, orchestra dork, book monkey, drama jock, poindexter, artsy fartsy, or just plain weird? Well then, welcome to Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we sit down with our nerdy friends, embrace our inner geek, and celebrate our art. Welcome back, my friends. This is Michael Bryan, and this is Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we talk to our nerdy friends about their artwork. Today, I am super excited. I am at the home of my good friend Steve Connect, and he has put together a band called Union Avenue, uh, and they are rockabilly brilliance. <laughs> uh, introduce yourself, guys. Say hi.
1: How are you? My name is Christopher Myers. I'm the singer and the lead guitar player. I am
2: Chris Manzilla and the drummer.
3: And I'm Steve Connect, the upright bass player.
0: And these guys uh, are one of the best rockabilly trios I've ever heard in my life. How did you guys get together? I'm going to start there. I'm going to start simple.
2: How did you guys get together? I'll let them start their beginning and then my beginning.
3: Yeah, this actually started, I don't know, about eight years ago when... um, My friend Rob Fogler, who's a really accomplished guitar player, he and I were in several bands together, and we kept thinking we needed to get a band going, but we never quite got the fire under us to do it. And he said that he had known of a kid, at that point a kid, in town here, that wanted to play rockabilly and was a good singer. Well, we never crossed paths until one night we were at a show at the Castle Theater And it was J.D. McPherson, who, if you haven't checked J.D. McPherson Uh, out, (laughs) you've got to hear that music. And so we all three end up at this show. And about, I don't know, halfway through the show, we just all look at each other and said, Yes, it is time to do this, because (laughs) we were so inspired by that J.D. McPherson show. It was just incredible. So Rob and Christopher and myself, uh, we looked and finally found a drummer. And we just could not get it off the ground. It just it just wouldn't happen.
1: For two years, we were together practicing, you know, and yeah. uh, didn't play a single gig.
3: So. And then, um, in that, their, their summer came up, and you went over to... Uh, summer
1: camp that I used to work at, and that took a break on, you know, we're practicing, and then there's a two-month break, and so that certainly didn't help with the equation of getting things going. Right,
0: and this is before Christopher came on as drummer. Before
3: Chris That's came on? Christopher. Yeah. That's Christopher. That's yeah. Christopher. Chris yeah. came on as drummer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. a long time before that. Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. Christopher's our guitar player. Chris is our drummer. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay, yes. so this is before Chris came
3: on as drummer. Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. Yep. So then Christopher moved down to
1: Kentucky? Yep, yep. I moved down to Bowling Green for about a year, a uh, year and a half to two years, and then I moved back up, and um, finally... Kind of during COVID, you know, during the heart of COVID, um, started playing out again. Um, and he I, was
3: he was doing single stuff. Yeah, just know, solo, solo stuff. stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I had a, a gig at Night Shop, and it was just like a thirty-minute to forty-five-minute set, just me solo, me and my guitar. And literally, and I don't remember if it was the same night or the next day. Steve, out of the blue, we hadn't talked, and since we the band broke up basically messaged me out of the blue and he's not on facebook so he had no idea what i was doing or anything <laughs> you know he had no, i didn't know what he was doing it was all just just meant to be basically it was, it was fate be, yeah. because i hadn't been playing in forever and i finally was getting back into it and steve reached out to me and he said hey you know um it's steve are you are you still playing music because uh, i kind of want to get something going again I said, "Yeah, actually, I literally just got done with a, a gig. You know, what are we talking about here?" And,
3: uh, and that's where that's where the seeds of this started, and that was um, that was in August. last July, basically, or
1: July, late July. Yeah, yeah basically right. a year ago. Oh, and really? So it's only yeah. been a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not even.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah because um, I can't remember. We were just coming out of COVID. Clubs were starting to open back up. And my wife, Becky, went on a vacation with her friends. And so I was sitting there at the house and I was just kind of like, I was frustrated with the band that I was currently in, which was uh, Rocky Ford Rounders, which was doing more like, you know, folk music, you right? Know? and it's like, okay, this is all good and fun. And yeah, you know, I got to go play rockabilly. I was going to say,
0: cause that sounds for a bass player, kind of slow.
3: It was, it was, but it did well, give me anybody. the opportunity to work on playing and singing at the same time, which with a rhythm instrument can be really challenging. Sure, um, but I got to hone that skill over a couple of years with the Rocky Ford Rounders, and but I was just like no. I yeah you know this I don't want to need to be let loose yeah because it was like you know playing for you know older people sitting in lawn chairs watching you play music and that's okay but it is nothing like playing in a in a crowded club with people just tearing the walls down because right. you're just ripping it up and I remembered all that from back in the days when I was in the upright bass player with the Bird Dogs back in the oh yeah that was a while ago that um... was a while ago back in the two thousands mm-hmm. maybe. And, you know, we had great success, but that band just like imploded just out of a clear blue sky. So that's what I was always kind of thinking, man, I wish I could recreate that. And uh, so that's when I reached out to Christopher and figuring that we were going to bring Rob Fogler on as guitar. And he's so busy with his life, he just really couldn't commit to it. So we... Talked about it and we we're like, well, let's see if we can find a drummer. And so yeah. Christopher took over trying to find a drummer for us. And there was a
1: there's a Facebook group uh,
3: called Bloomington Normal Musicians,
1: local musician group, bunch of people from uh, the local scene will post, you know, hey, we're uh, we're playing this gig. Does anybody have any recommendations, you know, for you know, we're looking for a guitarist or we're looking for a drummer, or right. You just a, a hub just for a different n- questions, nice resource for and resources <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, in the local scene. And so I thought, well, you know, I will post a video of me playing at Night Shop from that uh, gig right, right before Steve reached out to me and say, hey, I've got an upright bass player. You know, I, I sing and play guitar. We're looking for a drummer. Anybody out there? And that's when we found this guy over here.
2: Actually, it was by chance because uh, I was in another band and I could see the writing on the wall. They were not going anywhere. <laughs> right. Oh, they were still using uh, music stands on live performances. They look like third grade recitals. Oh, in
0: in a, in a rock and roll band? Or yeah,
2: a... yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I tried to add my, you know, pa- I, I took 37 years off. So I did have a little bit of experience from back in the day, and I tried to share that. It wasn't well taken. And, uh, but they just, I, I was just unhappy. So I put an ad on Facebook and it said something like, you know, looking for a band to, you know, play, jam, whatever. I got my own kit, got my own vehicle, you know, all the stuff that they needed to know. And he chimed, finds me and says, hey, would you do rockabilly? I'm like, why not? You know, <laughs> but then he, he had seen my, I've got another Facebook page and a YouTube page of my covers and I've got a monster kit. At home, you know, 24 cymbals, all this, you know. And he's like, Well, you really only need a couple drums. I'm like, That's fine. So we met July 31st last year. The following Sunday, whatever that day was, was August 1st. And we jammed, auditioned, and they kept looking at me because they knew I loved Bad Company and Fog Hat and all that. Okay. And they kept on saying, are you okay with this? Like, dude, it's fine.
1: Because <laughs> you know, not everybody knows what rockabilly is. Not everybody's into it, and right. that's okay. That's, that's okay. totally fine. So yeah, we we just weren't sure. We yeah. wanted to make sure that. But you they know, asked me Chris like a a dozen
2: times over two months. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if you're okay with slow and. <laughs> well, I can see Steve kind of like stopping and looking at me, like, "You sure you're okay with this music?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> well, see
3: the 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 funny little part that comes up is that. Chris is originally out of St. Louis, and of course, I'm originally out of Collinsville, which is right outside of St. Louis. Right, And he was gigging down in St. Louis area at the same time I was gigging down in St. Louis area, back when I was playing in punk bands and alternative rock bands. So it's really probable, not even just possible, it's probable that we crossed paths back then right, playing yeah. at, at, at very similar venues like...
2: Yeah. The landing, the landing, and, 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 and yeah, like uh,
3: Kennedy's, yep. Billy Goat Hill, um, yeah, all of kinds the, of places in South St. Louis and in yeah. the St. Louis uh, downtown area. Yeah. So w- when we start comparing notes, it's it's basically like, oh yeah, I was there, and how oh, did yeah, we I not meet? <laughs>
2: yeah. And we and we still to the, almost every practice, we always come up with something in common, you know, whether it be. Italian food on the hill, or this club, or that club, or, you know. Yeah. Uh, So. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I went to high school with Steve, in case you guys didn't know. Oh. So, yeah. We'll have
3: have to talk later.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to hear about that.
3: No, you can't talk, Mm -hmm. because I don't think the statute of limitations has (laughs) run out on some of that stuff.
1: You're (laughs) right, you're right.
3: Fair point. Um, Yeah, we'll turn the microphones off. We'll have a good time.
0: Um, so, So, between the three of you, how... There's a million influences here yeah, in terms of musical styles, in terms of experience. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, for, for me, it was interesting. Now I'm here because in the day when I was eight, nine years old, my mom and dad had stacks and stacks of 45s, Elvis, Cherry Lee, you know, uh, oh. the Supremes, uh, you know, all the Motown, the, the 50s, all of it. And that's all I did forever. I would go outside and listen to my little white little record player and put on a little concert. You know, when you were kids, so you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that. yeah, yeah. But as you do, that was embedded in my brain. So then, as I grew up, I got into the you know the seventies and eighties and like I said, the right. Fog had an and Bad Company and you know all that that crowd. But that other 50s and the Motown and all that stuff was still here still well, still well way back there yeah it was, it was welded you know, I guess it was you know, my initial introduction to music it really was you know. and,
3: and it really shows in how Chris plays this music because it's a, one of the things that we found with um, the Bird Dogs is that we had a hard rock drummer at that time in the Bird Dogs, and it brought such an enthusiasm that you wouldn't get with somebody that was laid back trying to play jazzy, you know, right. right, right. So when Chris comes in with all of his influences, but a real innate understanding of that, you know, era of music. Right. Just without even thinking about it, just like on autopilot. Man, he just crushes it and is... Absolutely. I mean, I'm not trying to just blow smoke here. The the best drummer that I have worked with, especially in rockabilly music.
2: Congratulations. <laughs> I, I, know, I, really, I'm, I feel honored. Yeah. Uh, I will say that we do... I think it's almost an unconscious thing that we do groove together. Because
0: mm-hmm. I've seen these guys play. Um, and they are...
3: It's tight. It's amazing. Um, and... It's, it's, it's always great as, a, as an upright bass player where you're doing percussive, but you're also playing notes, melodic notes, to not have to think about both of those things. And when you're playing with an excellent drummer like Chris, he's asked me, like, hey, did you hear that? I'm like, no, I didn't. And <laughs> that is what's perfect is I don't have to think about what you're doing. I know it's right. Right. And so that makes it just all the yeah, better. Yeah, because...
0: I mean, uh, I like I said, I grew up with a lot of the same stuff you did, Mm -hmm. Chris. Um, You know, my mom and dad were—they were flower children, wannabes—but we still had a lot of Jerry Lee Lewis, a lot of
2: Elvis, a lot of that old. My mom used to go down to Imperial Club, in St. Louis. Oh, really? And see Ike and Tina Turner. Wow. True story. That's yeah. great. My uncle, yeah, my uncle had a meat market down there, D'Angelo's Meat back in the day, <laughs> and they would deliver food to them. And I just found this out that my uncle Frank did not like Ike, because Uncle Frank was old school. He respected women. Oh and yeah, yeah I, I had yeah, a so, troubled past yeah, there that, yeah she was mom just loved Elvis. you know when we went to Nashville, almost you know there's times I would just want to cry because it's like you know I would love to tell mom, you know right. she would love it. She yeah. like just like, wow, yeah
0: because you know? yeah, because I kind of grew up with this kind of this style of this kind of old 50s rock and roll stuff mm-hmm. and then uh, like most people my age, you know, the stray cats hit the scene. And then, like, oh, so that's rockabilly. I right. get yeah. it. Yeah. You know, then you start digging into Eddie Cochran and, you know, the history of it and all that oh, yeah. good stuff. Um, other influences, like uh, Christopher, Steve, what? I mean, are, you're the youngest of the group. Christ- sure. Yeah. yeah. Has it always been rockabilly for you?
1: Uh, well, it's interesting because I'm a very old soul in many ways, not just music, but, uh, you know, I drive a 54 Chevy. Well, tell the other and- story
2: how you introduced to introduce yeah so
1: you know like the the story is everybody's like why why do you like all this old music you know you're not an old person like what gives <laughs> like what's going on and honestly the short story is when I was a baby in the crib my dad would play the oldie station then I would go to, you know fall asleep to the oldie station when it was you know 50s doo-wop music and rock and roll and mainly 50s stuff you know a little right. bit of early 60s uh, and of course as years went by you know the old east station gradually went to you know 60s now it's what 70s now it's <laughs> 80s you know but back then when i was a baby it was 50s do up rock right. and roll all that and so that was kind of ingrained in in my head and i was always uh, listening to that music when i was g- getting older as a kid and then i think maybe like my eighth birthday party uh, my parents were like okay um it's going to be you know your birthday let's do a, you want to do a themed birthday party? And I said, yes. And they said, well, I know you really like oldies music. You got to pick a decade, like are we talking fifties? Do you want a fifties party? Do you want a sixties party? And I decided I wanted to do a fifties party. And that was, that cemented okay. I like all of this music. I'm definitively I've picked the fifties and it (laughs) kind of went from there. Still didn't really know who Elvis was. The first time that I actually even knew who Elvis was, my dad was a elementary school principal and he had a lot of fun with themed dances and they had like, you know, like a 50s themed okay. party, yeah. you know, dance for the kids. And uh, he liked to dress up and the kids liked that and had, had a good time. And so he had uh, like an Elvis jumpsuit and a wig. And I remember he was putting that stuff on for this dance. And I looked at him and I'm like, what are you wearing? I'm like, w- what are you, who are you supposed to be? And he's like, I'm Elvis. <laughs> and I'm like, who's Elvis? <laughs> so who's elvis and, you know i didn't know and you know slowly but surely because i liked that music you know found out who elvis was now i liked elvis but i still didn't know what rockabilly was because i'm still listening to like hound dog more mainstream rock and roll okay you know elvis um not didn't know about the earlier stuff before he went national the sun records era the rockabilly era of right. elvis so digging more into elvis I then discovered Sun Studios and I discovered, hey, I like blues music, like old school, like Delta blues music, because that was recorded at Sun Studios, you know? And yeah, I do like this early Elvis stuff, and that's all right, Mama, and, you know, Baby Let's Play House and Mystery Train and all that stuff, and that's rockabilly. So, oh, okay, you know, let me dig some more and, and, and get more into the nitty gritty of things. And so. That's kind of so what happened to me. dad dressed up as Elvis to introduce you to
0: him. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> to, all kinda, to narrow it down. Right.
1: It all kind of went from
0: there. And then you so. just kind of fell down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. it's amazing. So do you play on it? Have you played anything else? Or is it, have you just stuck to this?
1: Uh, mainly, you know, when, when I started, I started playing in front of people... Uh, in high school, maybe a little bit of junior high, but mainly high school, you know, we had like a battle of the bands uh, at the end of the year right. and I would, I would play you know, like an hour set, just me solo and a guitar. And it was mainly fifties rock and roll, rockabilly stuff. So yeah, it's pretty much been just rockabilly and, and rock and roll stuff that I've played. I, I did never really played like mainstream stuff. I wasn't listening to the stuff that was on the radio because I didn't like it. You know, it was a, I was listening to the, the old catalogs of the older right. stuff. So, um, yeah, pretty much been rockabilly. Okay, Steve, your influences. Because I know some of them because we went to high school
3: together. We did. Um, Well, it all probably starts out the fact that my dad was a big band drummer. That's right, he was. For his entire life. Um, And so it's funny now because now when we're like loading out of a show... And I'm moving Chris's drums out to the trailer. I just can remember all the days where I'm moving my dad's drums into the back of the station wagon. (laughs) But my dad uh, was really into the big band music. Uh, My mom was a big fan of, like, you know, Ella Fitzgerald. And there was always music playing as much as possible in my parents' house. So that was, you know, interesting music. Um, But, of course, you find your own way with your friends. So in uh, the different bands that I've been in, you know, we played everything from uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival to, you know, ACDC and then bands that were playing um, like R.E.M. And, you know, I went through different phases where I liked... You know, I was crazy about the Rolling Stones when I was younger, and then that turned into liking Jimi Hendrix and a lot of the stuff that probably you know Chris is, and I were familiar with in, in that era of uh, the KSH uh, radio oh, station yeah. down in St. Louis and their KSH classics that they played. We still talk about a lot of that stuff, and then that morphed into more of the uh, the. British New Wave Invasion, uh, stuff like The Smiths. Okay. And, you know... um, Clash. Uh, The Clash. Absolutely The Clash. I remember
0: you... I remember one of the Police albums came out and that's all you could talk about for like two weeks.
3: Yeah. uh, The the Police was, was outrageous because as much as I liked it and I really, you know, was, you know, like you said, down the rabbit hole with that, it wasn't until much later when i realized what it was that made that band so incredibly special with their rhythms and some of the ska and and reggae Mm -hmm. influences and you know we didn't know at that time what ska and reggae really was until later in the you know sometime in the 80s when groups like fishbone and uh i can't even think of the other ones that were playing ska right 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 right. uh Oh,
0: yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry.
3: But then also right about that time, you know, was like you said, when the Stray Cats started coming out and that music and the romantics Mm -hmm. and, you know, that that style of music just like grabbed me by the throat and shook me. And I was like, wow, this is really, really something. And um, I was uh, living with my friend Kelly Laster, who, you know, Kelly Flash Mm -hmm. Laster.
0: Flash Laster.
3: And uh, he really really liked the rockabilly music and it actually met a lot of the old rockabilly stars and got them to you know give him autographs and Mm -hmm. stuff and he had he knew you know i've been playing electric bass in bands and he's like no no you need an upright bass and i'm like i'm not gonna buy an upright bass i have no (laughs) interest in this i don't even know how to carry it and so one day he's like get in the car i'm like what are you talking about he's just get in the car and we drove to swing city music in collinsville and he had spied in their, like, junk music closet an upright bass. And he's like, you need to buy that, and we'll get it up, and then we'll start our own little rockabilly band, kind of like the Stray Cats or right. whatever. And so I'm like, I don't know. He twisted my arm just right, and so I paid $200 for this beat-up old bass. <laughs> and um, had to figure out how to get strings, because back then you know, there was, really wasn't internet. You know, you had to go to a music store and have them order stuff. Um, Our friend Sean Graves, of course, had his dad had a woodworking shop in his basement. And one of the things that was missing on that base was the end pin, which is a wooden housing with a metal pin sticking out of it that you stand the base on. And Sean actually, uh, you know, woodworked my first uh, wooden end pin for that upright base. And so... Got it running and Kelly and I worked on playing and uh, he decided he wanted to start a little rockabilly band and so we needed a drummer and uh, we found this drummer <laughs> named Mike O'Brien. Yes, I was their first drummer. And, <laughs> really nice. I was. Oh, and nice. I don't even know where you got drums from.
0: I couldn't, I don't remember. I had a snare drum hanging around my house for years. Really? And it just happened to be in that period of time. And that's all I played on. I had a drum and I had a hi-hat with, that didn't work. So just basically two cymbals sitting there together. And that's what I played on.
3: Yeah, so, And that was it. So huh. this is like 1988, 89, right in that time frame, right. I believe. Uh, I think we all three of us probably practiced maybe twice. And then we played an uh, open what? mic. One gig. At the uh, Stagger Inn in Edwardsville, Illinois. And I think we played three, maybe four songs tops, because that's all we knew. And uh, that never happened again. (laughs) (laughs) One done. But the funny part is, is that upright bass that I bought for $200 is the exact bass I play today. It sounds better today. It does. You've had it fixed. Well... Or rebuilt or... Several times.
1: <laughs> a little bit of everything.
3: Yeah. Because the one time we were... Uh, I was playing with the bird dogs and we were in Springfield. And of course, you know, we're uh, in... There's a, uh, a bar and a club in the basement of the Hilton Tower in Springfield. Okay. And uh, we were down there playing a show and... I was just slapping the hell out of the bass like you knew you need to do with rockabilly. And all of a sudden, I came back to slap and the strings weren't there anymore. <laughs> and the whole bass had just exploded in my hands while I was playing and I didn't even realize it. So it, that, uh, that bass ended up uh, sitting for a few years. I bought one from, there was another band that was, we played with that night and I bought that guy's bass to finish the show and I kept it, and uh, then uh, rebuilt this one. Wow, so
0: do you still have that second one? or
3: No, I, uh, I had been in a, uh, a Western swing band called the Caffeine Patrol, and um, it was the most frustrating music I had ever played, because it's really highly technical, jazz-based, but it's also Western, and it's also swing music. So trying to play that music against somebody on a uh, pedal steel guitar that's out of tune and some you know there was about five five of us in that band and the rhythms were just driving me insane. So I got so frustrated when that band broke up. I sold all of my equipment, including that blonde angle heart bass. I was just <clears> like, <throat> I'm done. I'm done with music. I'm not playing music anymore. With bands. I'm so frustrated. And that lasted six months. (laughs) And then I was just like, you know. Got the the itch. Got the itch. What is it about
0: your style of music that grips you like it does? Because you guys talk about this style of music, this period of music, rockabilly. And there's an amazing uh, love for it, fondness for it. I don't know affinity for it what about it what is it about this
2: that they're going to have different answers yeah that's kind
1: of what i'm hoping well go ahead i don't know i guess uh i guess it's it's the rhythm i think it's the fact that it's not crazy complex but it's very um it's a very bold sound but at the same time it's not complex you know i mean it's it can it can be complex but the way we right. do it i mean it is it's tight but it's also simple at the same time it's it's uh i don't know i think you know a lot of people like when we play out even some of the sound people who where was it where were we at and we were we were doing sound and the sound guy was like uh your bass is is making this like weird noise uh i, I don't know i can't figure it out <laughs>
3: Oh yeah, and because the, of the, the the slap of the the bass, the that tickety tickety that tick. tickety tickety.
1: Uh, yeah, and so it's it's like another percussion instrument, right? Oh yeah. I mean, if 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 Steve played electric bass, completely different sound. Oh yeah. Wouldn't work. I mean, it'd be okay. It's not gonna put people in seats. I don't think. But it wouldn't have the energy. No. No. Yeah. It wouldn't have whole, the feel. It's a whole the, other thing. The, the feel. And the, I think the, that's what it the is. drums are. Very powerful, you know, just solid, you know, hitting that snare, you know, consistently driving that bass drum. And then, you know, the guitar, I don't know. It's just, I think uh, a lot of other genres are great. Um, They're much more complex, which is still interesting. Right. And, and nice, but I think it's just the rawness of it. And it's not, again, it's just not complex. I don't know. It's... It's just really raw. It's very, um, it's a very driving rhythm and, visceral, and beat and, you know, you know, wild. And I don't know. I think it, it's it not, makes us get it, into it more it's than not, just to calm down. Yeah,
2: it's not complex, but at the same time, you have to be, you have to present that certain element. Because... Uh, As I'm, you know, getting back in the drums in November, it'll be three years back into it, and I've read every video, and you know, some of the older drummers are telling, well, you got to do this, and you know, if you want to do this, you got to do that, and a lot of them will just like, you've got to play basics, and they teach you the techniques and the things to hear from, and like play for the song, not play for you. If you can't dance to your music, you know, or the, you know if you if you can't dance it people aren't going to dance. Right. So it's just like the music in itself for me um you know I don't necessarily listen to rockabilly when I'm uh, cruising down the road. You know, I got my own tunes. But I love the music. So I've listened to it and I study it. So, you know, there's a part each of us play a part. I can't go do a bunch of fills, you know, And I've got to be basic. And there's an art, I feel like there's an art to that, you know, to keep it...
1: Not overplaying.
2: Yeah, steady, solid, and play the accents when they're necessary, and keep it simple, bring it down for the dynamics and the vocals. All that for me is just, it's a challenge. It's not hard, but it is a challenge. know it's
3: actually surprisingly difficult for most drummers and I've seen that you know firsthand because that's what Chris does really really well is he's got his basics on lock and he realizes like he and I talk about all the time there's a there's a music phrase called in the pocket and if you are a drummer and a bass player and you're in the pocket all you're doing is you're not trying to showboat you're holding it together you are 100% working to keep the boat rowing. You're not up, you know, doing anything flashy. You know, that's that's for your front man to do. We're just in the pocket holding it together. And, yeah, it's, it's outrageous because when you really study old rockabilly music from early early 50s yeah. you know we, there's a lot of debate on when it started sure. and who started it and how it started but there's you know definitely a great musical recorded evidence of it being from 52, 53, 54 around there. and these guys that were playing that were really basic musicians they, they didn't have a lot of training whereas like when the western swing that I was talking about earlier those were like really musically educated cats man and they knew their their scales and arpeggios and they had all this whereas the rockabilly is like hey I found a drum I'm a drummer now you know <laughs> no, hey right. you know Here's I got a dollar. this dollar let's cut it right You know my uncle gave me this guitar it's only got 3 strings but I'm going to learn to play it yep and that's where this this just raw ruckus sound just it just came out of because again there's a lot of debate as to where rock and roll started versus you know rockabilly it's more easy to kind of narrow that down to it's you know memphis and that area arkansas where Mm -hmm. johnny cash grew up you know elvis and mississippi that whole area, because there was such a uh, that Delta blues influence, the Delta blues influence, country music influence, yeah, and so as it. you start trying to kind of stack those together, because of what was being played on the radio, on what at that time was called race stations, which were for quote unquote, you know, you know, colored people, right, like back in the day. Um, but you had all these, you know, little sharecropper white kids that were tuning in on their little crystal radio sets listen and listening. Uh, Dewey Phillips on WHP two in <laughs> Memphis. Yeah. And that's where like this explosion just came about.
0: So would you guys consider Rockabilly as kind of a and I'm gonna use the term folk music in the sense that it is just people playing for their own fun. It's. Uh, I know folk music has its own connotations, its own kind of Appalachian kind of sensibility, but it sounds the way you're talking is that it's not so much about being a trained musician or the most accomplished musician. It's about being the most passionate musician, musician, or is, 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 is it a little is, bit of both? But I mean, yeah. Is it part of it at least? Oh, yeah.
2: the, the word I use is feel Mhm. And um I'll let you take it from there.
1: Oh, no, no, I mean, he said the word, so he's got to finish that sentence,
2: right? <laughs> I just, you know, again, I, I listen to different drummers. Uh, you know, Todd Suckerman from Styx, he's been playing with oh, them yeah. for 15, 20 years. I don't know. And he teaches so many psychological aspects of it, you know. And he talks about feel. And that's, to me, it, it's almost an underrated word in music. Unless you're really seasoned. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Because if you don't, if you play a song and it doesn't feel good, whether it's, it's not right. playing or the audience feels it, there's feel so many different ways. It's not right. And I, I honestly feel like our music, when we play, there's that groove, that mm-hmm. feel. It's simple. It's very simple. But it comes across as a good flow, a good vibe, a good Something feel. Something deep down just yeah.
1: triggers right. Yeah. And like, you know, for example, um, when we are practicing and we'll say, hey, you know, we, we've figured out a couple of new songs to do, right? We like it, there's a horn section in this song. We don't have any horns, right? There's a, there's a piano solo, we don't have a piano. So we're listening to it and we like it, we gotta figure out how we're gonna do it
3: right. as us. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and that's what happened way back in the day. I mean, if they were listening to, you know, uh, some of the jump blues of the day, you know, yeah, I mean, there'd be a five piece horn section behind them and a, and a guy on a piano right. and, and a drummer and an upright player and maybe two or three guitarists. Well, how do you cover that when you've only got three guys in your band
1: and not even the same instruments?
3: Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what we have somehow stumbled on. Because people go, oh man, your sound—you, you know, for three guys, you make a lot of sound, but it's not just like blazing sound. It's like it works, and so we actually stood around practice a couple times and scratched our heads and go, Whoa, what is our sound? Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah, you know, how do we continue to make of these other songs in that sound? And it is just—it's uh, just passion for what we're doing. Yeah. You know? and that
1: that feeling that uh, Chris was talking about, you know, I bring up practicing and, and you know working on new songs, what is it three times, four times
2: yeah, I think yeah. that's our our uh, we play song our practice a song an average of three three times before
1: we get that before
2: that, that it all as Steve like says, yeah that's got bones, yeah,
3: yeah. that's got
2: good bones it's, yeah. yeah. But but it, it's usually three to four times and then it's like oh yeah there it is oh before we start getting, know, getting before into it before clicks it's in. the first two sometimes you know we're figuring sometimes out what it's like <laughs> uh, i don't know and i've just noticed it in our early time you know last year like let's just play it three to four times it's usually the third or fourth it clicks And it yeah. clicks
3: all of a sudden then the arrangements there we each know our part Right, And then we can reproduce that over and over again yeah. with that feel and that just makes yeah, it just chug it, along. It
2: does go back to the feel. Because initially, the first two or three times, we're, we're lear- learning individually. Like, I'm learning my part, how I interact with him and, and Chris. Oh, okay. know, and he's doing the same. We're all doing that same thing. You know we're trying to make it like how does that sound you know and i'm playing like and i'm listening to steve and i'm listening to the vocals you know but by the fourth time all of a sudden something just meshes
1: second or third time we maybe figure out what we should be playing yeah but we're all stiff because we haven't done it a lot right so we're kind of trying to figure out okay is this right and then if we figure out it is right then again couple more times then we get into it we're more relaxed we say yeah this does sound good and and, we'll relax a bit we'll we'll blend and gel together
2: sometimes Steve or I will say okay let's do this with energy and then we kick in and that's the key yeah
3: yeah a a great example is um, there's a song by Warren Smith uranium rock Mm -hmm. and I've been I've known this song for 30 40 years right (laughs) awesome song and we decided we wanted to do it and it took us multiple times play. I mean we're all playing it fine but we're just looking at each other going why doesn't this work
1: different drum beat a different guitar you know riff or yeah. different yeah. bass scale
3: and it's because you know like like Christopher said earlier you know on the cut by Warren Smith there's somebody on the piano and it very well could have been Jerry Lee Lewis yeah. doing session he work a, at Sun Studio was a session
1: player before you was big
3: oh so there's there's back you know that and that adds a a beat to it it adds a separate bass line and separate melody line on you know underneath what they're playing on the guitars and the you know the bass and so we're trying to figure out well what do we got to do i mean because i I was about ready to hang that song up because i'm just like i don't feel it the
2: first couple times i had a groove I, i was doing the main groove on the toms and I felt I'm like that's it, but these guys are like, mm, I don't know. I it don't. sounded
1: good, but again, because and, we aren't yeah. playing it and we don't have all the same instruments as the record, right, it doesn't but, work in a different setting. So yeah, we've got to we don't. But we actually
2: just kind of dropped it for a while, a little bit, yeah, a yes. few weeks or so. I don't know, yeah. and it just, you know, like okay, I let's, give it up. Yeah. I said, Wait,
1: this is a good song. We got to do this. And song. then we yeah. just
2: tried it, and he goes, "Christopher's like just." play it straight I'm like okay and all of a sudden it was there
3: yeah he played he played the drum straight and uh, I changed up the bass line to actually uh, using that slap technique to f- use it to fill in where that piano was and you know Chris is really great about whatever I'm doing as a slap technique on the bass that he can Like take that and process that in his mind as to how the drums should either be with it or counter to it, because if you know if I'm going tick 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 and he's like on that same beat, it sounds one way. But if he's on the counter beat, right, then you get a whole different feel. Yep, and he he's just like a magician being able to pull that out. So is that part of your sound? Is being able to
0: translate pretty much anything into this three piece.
2: Well, there is a there. I'm gonna say there's there is a chemistry. You know, I mean, we get along. We have situations that come up. Just I mean, because being in a band's like a marriage. You know, relationship. Sure. You know, we have. You know, I, I'll be the first to I admit mean, I'm I'm tough to deal with at times. You know, but we work through it uh, musically. Though, um, yeah, we just there's there's a thing. You know, yeah, that we just
1: if, if we play. didn't get along. The music wouldn't sound yeah, as good. Right. The, it, so I'm going to assume you get along
0: because yeah. it oh, yeah. sounds good. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, Like I said, we've oh, yeah. had
2: situations, but we've sat down like mature men and said, hey, what's going on? Right. Let's deal with this. Well, you know, and, and, it,
3: and that and the fact that regardless of what it sounds like on stage, we run this band like a business, and all three of us have a say. There's no one set, I'm the manager or right. I'm the booking agent. We're all three constantly making decisions that affect the band, as far as you know, advertising and uh, where we're going to book shows at, and so that helps everybody feel like we're you know 100% included in where we're going and what we're going to do.
0: And yeah. that's would, I'm going to assume the, that's vital to absolutely
2: um, well, a successful I, band. I, I, honestly, I'll be at work, and I know he's at work and I'm not sure what schedule Christopher has, but our texts are going, you know, and it's like we practice, we play gigs, but during the day, it's almost like we have this individual business thing yep. going. You know, I can tell Text I can tell when the bosses are his partners away, because he's just texting us <laughs> like crazy, but it's business. you know. Right, yeah, he's like, right. oh, got an email from and, you know, like today I was talking to a drummer from another band in Nashville. You know, we're trying to possibly get something going you know down the road you know and christopher's talking to this guy and he's talking to that guy we're all doing something right. that is the 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 joy of us or whatever you want to call it but that's why we gig so much
1: we're all doing our separate things to you know, all to come together and get seven something going. gigs
2: last year and i think we're, we're like 20 already for this year i don't even know it's hard to keep track yeah, Honestly, it's been we're it's been even, a crazy year not even one year yet that's amazing. Yeah.
3: I mean, we just played at a, at a major rockabilly festival down in Nashville. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How'd that go? Uh, it was amazing. It
0: was amazing. <laughs> it was.
2: Even for me being apprehensive, I walked away. Honest to God, true story. I'm cruising home, and I'm thinking of grooves for potential original songs really i mean what the heck is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's the kind of impact at least for me you know oh, that's it exciting was just insane yeah
3: nashville was a total mind blower <laughs> mind blower is exactly right because we went down there and we were going to be the first band to op- open up the festival which was a, a friday saturday and then well, sunday was a sunday record stuff, show yeah. and stuff like that but uh, so they figure, well, you know, we'll put you guys first, you know. Because we're a nobody. We're, you're, we're nobody, right? We get first. And we get up there, and we hit it, and you could just see everybody's, like, jaws drop. Like, where did these guys come from? And it was really apparent the rest of the, uh, the weekend that we were there. Because, I mean, I couldn't even walk up and lean my elbow on a bar without somebody coming up and wanting to buy us drinks like we were like total rock stars. <laughs> people coming, "Oh, you should come play here. You should come play here. You need to be here," you know, and talking to the other bands. It was it was so cool to be surrounded by people that like-minded people. Rockabilly and the vintage uh, custom culture as it's called. Right. That they, that's what it was all about. I mean, car shows and vintage clothing sellers and, you know, the place that we played had a, a you Know a 50s diner and a bowling alley and a you know arcade, and, and it was just and a
2: complete rock club in the back, yeah, yeah, backstage, it's like double con- decker. It was a converted
1: old yeah. Kmart, this massive old oh, Kmart. Really, building. they made it into a bowling alley again, a diner, oh, that's the, cool. the
3: stage,
1: yeah, all of that. If so you get a chance
3: cool. to check out East Side Bowl in Madison, Tennessee, yeah, it's just on the edge of. I guess it's, technically it's Madison,
1: but it's basically in Nashville. Yeah, okay. and, just uh, just up from super, the Grand
3: Ole Opry complex up there.
1: Super 50s styled, you know, decor yeah. everywhere. It's quite you, quite the thing. And you blew them out of the water. Well, we, I, think I think we, we did. We tried
2: to <laughs> here was the the evidence came to us throughout the weekend because when we played, it didn't look like there was a lot of people there.
1: There's some people but, in the shadows. They yeah, were right up was, front. You know,
2: right. I, obviously, when you're on stage, you can't see too yeah. far. But as we, I even stayed one day, they stayed the weekend. But it was like people were coming up to us, oh, we've seen you. I'm like, where were you? And right. obviously, there was a lot of folks, musicians, in the shadows, you know, in we the We didn't corners. even know. Yeah. And that's how we got, uh, we're kind of building a relationship with, um, Oh,
3: Jane Rose and the Dead End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which are out on Nashville.
2: And the drummer is from England, and he, now he's in Nashville. A great band. I personally love their sound. And we're we're texting and you know trying to get a show with, for them. And but you know he came up and talked to Steve and I, and it's like, oh, you guys are tight and. And that blew my mind. I mean, you could come up and say, oh, you guys sounded good. But when yeah, another Mia, drummer or yeah. another bass guitar player from an established band. band comes up and says, hey, you guys did good. I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah Mia Lehman coming up and saying, me, that's
0: great. That's, you know,
2: that was that's a me, dime a dozen. That was my mind
3: blower. That's great. Yeah, the, uh, the vocalist from what, the High Drivers, Yep. which I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now. Phenomenal. Just yeah. bluesy, oh, raspy, growly yeah. Ooh, voice. Yeah. But just she phenomenal. walked up to Christopher and said, What'd she say? You got good vocals yeah. or something like that. She said, you, and you had a great you have a great voice. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't For even know she was s- at a yeah. show. For her to say that was like That's awesome. The heavens opened up and (laughs) the sun rays came down. Absolutely. I mean,
2: Christopher is is smiling from ear to ear right now, just (laughs) for a visual reference. Yes. You know, we're not trying to, you know, make our heads so big, but it is so flattering, and you know, to hear solid comments from. Solid people. I mean, even DJ uh, DJ De- Del Villar. You know, he we'd he had played us uh, some songs uh, prior to the show, and then afterwards, and I think he said a couple different shows at very high, you know, praise. Yeah, and that's like,
3: on uh, Rockabilly Radio, which you can find on uh, any of the web radio casts.
2: Okay. Yeah. So it just you know confirmed that wow, we've got something. Yeah. We're doing something right yeah. because. We're, we're getting too many of the right people saying nice things about us, yeah, yeah. and like I said, we're not trying to get our heads so big, but at the same time, it's we're trying it's, to it's,
1: expand our audience and get into the scene. It's
2: you know, it's it's encouraging to hear that saying, "Okay, let's do this," you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, trying to keep our humility, you know, being humble. That's (laughs) that's hard because I I even told the guys it's like, man, when I got back that Saturday or Sunday, it's like it is so easy for my head to blow up and think I'm a rock star because just the whole, you know, I mean, the magnitude of Nashville and the people. Right. So you just got to bring yourself in, take the compliments and say, okay, we're like I said, we're on the right page. We're doing something right. Yeah. Let's and do this. We
3: got to record a couple of videos with a guy from Bob Flicks. Yeah, which those are going to be uh, edited and released at some point. Yeah,
1: within the next <laughs> year. I mean, so uh, his name's uh, Chris, and he's from Bob Flicks. It's it's a one man show. He goes to all of these big rockabilly music festivals all throughout the world. He's from the UK. Right? He's from the UK. Yeah, uh, goes to Spain. Goes to you know Vegas, Nashville. Um, You know, Europe, all of these different Rockabilly festivals, and he will film all of these different bands, whether it's in their hotel room, real stripped down, or a hotel hallway, or, you know, out in a field, just different random, not necessarily like a performance on a stage, but just different like improv atmospheres (laughs) and, yeah, just more stripped down one take, which is amazing. You know, say he starts a close up of a snare drum you know, doing a roll and it slowly pans out and then it zooms in on the the vocalist and then it goes to the guitar solo and it's all one take. Um, so it's visually it's it's very uh, very nice versus, yeah. you know, junk Cuts, <laughs> he's, cut, of so. he's yeah. got it. Yeah. he's
3: got it down to a science. He's got it down. Yeah, he's t- and so we did we did two songs and then you know, one hit, boom. You know, it's like one take. Yeah. Okay, it's in the can. really yeah that was awesome next (laughs) oh we gotta do it again it's like a yearbook photographer (laughs) yeah pretty much um excellent excellent so we're excited to see that come up and uh we're just trying to figure out how to keep moving forward um because uh the, the the people that come out to see us you know we have to keep them happy and we really really want to you know so it's like what do they like what do they don't like you know yeah talk to me a little bit about
0: actual performing because you kind of started touching on it about responding to the audience and that you know having the audience respond back do you guys enjoy the performance aspect of it
1: (laughs) is that a question Uh, Of course You all giggled at
0: the same time So something's going on My
2: story is I remember some of the antics That I used to do Back in the day You know And it was just like We used to play Stray Cats uh, Rock This Town And I would stand up Pull my ride cymbal out My snare And just stand up and play it No kick drum Right You know So it was kind of like Those theatrics So after the first couple shows That started coming back and then I've told these guys a million times, it's like, man, I'm tired, but don't worry about it. As soon as I get to the stage, I'm going to be fired. So I get up there and boom. Energy. Energy. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's awesome. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the worst day on the stage is definitely better than the best day at work. It's outrageous what it does to you because it's not like, for me, it's not like, look at me, I'm a bass player, it's like, I get to be a bass player for you people. And I appreciate that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it my all. You know, I'm going to give you 100%. We just have fun on stage
1: with each other, uh, yeah. with the audience, you know, just trying to let loose and not be too uptight. And, you know, I mean, I need to work a little bit more. I'm, I think I'm getting better, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I want it's, to, it's both musically, like audibly... <laughs> A show, but also you know they came to see you visually, right? And so you want to you want to put on a show visually for them. So I'm trying to get more loose and and get more animated and into it for the sh- you know for the uh, audience members, and uh, so I, I think i have been there. But yeah. you know,
3: yeah, it's like my dad. Only, into it. My dad always told me that because he you know like I said was a big band drummer for so many years, and he just kind of always kind of drilled it in my head. When the audience comes, you know they're coming. He say they're coming for dinner and a show you know they want to see the band having fun as much as they want to hear the band playing good music yeah you know it's not just one or the other if you you're, if you're up there and you're just being a total technician and you're not moving around but your but your music you're playing is perfect you're not going to get people fired up but if you're jumping around on the stage and you're, you know, you're jiving with your, your fellow shouting. bandmates up there and you're shouting and carrying on. And that's, Rockabilly's is awesome for that. Yeah. But that's what people, like, that gets their attention. It's like, what are these fools doing? You know? <laughs> I'm going to sit and watch. <laughs> well, and uh, recently we've had the added excitement that uh, the Champagne Urbana Swing Dance Society has been coming to our shows. And piling up right next to the stage there right. and swing dancing. And man, you get, really? a bunch of, you get a bunch of dancers up in front of the stage. You want to play hard. Yep. I mean,
1: it really does. That's a whole other added element oh, yeah. for the audience members to get into it more because they're seeing all these people swing dance to this music. But for us, it's more fuel to our fire, I think. Oh, because absolutely. we want to, sh- yeah, we want to, you know, even just boost
3: our energy more for them right. to get into it and yeah. we feed off of each other, yeah. I think. And yeah. they they have a good tendency to go try and grab people from the audience right. and, and bring them out to that's, swing dance with them. Yeah. Now that's an event. That's oh, just my nice. yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. That's a We really we really appreciate them coming out because that is that just turbocharges the whole show. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Last few questions here. Um this could be a rapid fire round, however you want to do it. What about your art turns you on? <laughs> I don't know. Everybody looks that's at each deep, other. For that's me, deep, that's, I fell in. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's
2: a deep question. For me, to be able to, you know, to perform, to perform correctly, to perform as a, an entertainer, um, and have every, all the elements that's, that's like the icing on the cake, you know? I mean, when it all comes together, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: There's, that, there's that spark when it all... Boom, yeah. Everybody yeah. in the room is in the exact same point. Yeah. Exact mm-hmm. same point in time of time and space. part
2: of entertaining is knowing... Your, your, your chops and everything, knowing your music. Once you know that, you can just close your eyes and play it. Then you can start getting goofy and dancing mm-hmm. and just, you know. And then it's just, then you're entertaining and providing music. Yeah. You know, so.
1: I would say for me, just, uh, I mean, again, we have fun. We certainly have fun that practice. But to play in front of people is what makes me really happy. Just to, to see other people Happy and, and engaged mm-hmm. from what we are creating. Absolutely. Is yeah. Very rewarding.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. Plus, it's always seemed to me that, you know, and you can probably chime in on this as far as all the artists that you've dealt with. Many artists live a very frustrated existence because they never think that their audience for their art gets it fully. And they, yeah. and it kind of leads to an insanity, which, which is like, why don't you people understand this, and why don't you like this more, and don't you understand what I'm what I'm putting out here in front of you? Whereas what we're doing, it's a hundred percent evident that they like it, and they may not understand rockabilly, but they really understand what we're doing, and Trust that's me, why we, they come back. Gonna,
2: we're not going to cut our ear off because we're, we're frustrated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they get the feel yeah. your audience gets the yeah. feel as you were talking okay next question what about your art turned you off
3: it's not really um the art part as much as just you know leaving a club at 2 a.m and having to load a trailer yeah. <laughs> full of equipment i and that drive home and um well like nashville we went down to Nashville for the weekend. It probably cost me about twelve hundred dollars, and we got paid about a hundred dollars each. Okay, yeah. it's not but about the money. It's <laughs> not about the money. Clearly, <laughs> no. but yeah, um, that's probably the yeah, worst part of the, the physical part. The physical part. The, yeah,
2: the, the physical labor, especially. Well, when you've got big bass guitars or drums, tear down. You know, yeah, lights, PA.
3: If you if we have to play a show where we've got lights PA system the drums the upright you know everything Um, we gotta get to the gig sometimes three hours early sure absolutely and we'll be there three hours after everybody's gone right nope I think that's universal for anybody for any
0: artist who does gig work like you guys do yeah it's you know the performing the show oh magic everything else surrounding it is such a
2: drudge but, you know, the the bright side, going back to the first question, um, like in sales, when I sell a job for my business, I get a, a rush. I get a, a little high because I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, and it's just we were talking about this the other day when we sell a performance or a show. There's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did it again you know mm-hmm. and we haven't even played the show but we've got that little buzz as like boys we're playing Yeah another basketball. gig yeah, yeah playing, it's, 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 there's a,
0: the anticipation of right. things like yeah. that is also it's, exciting there's
2: there's a sense of uh, i guess prestige if you will you know to say hey we're playing Nashville or we're playing game day or whatever the, sure. the venue is just because it's just cool, you know. That's that's the cool part about playing music, and it's it's you know you get a big head for a minute, and you're like, oh yeah, we're playing this club.
3: Yeah, but then we played at uh, Gill Street, and it was an outdoor gig. <laughs> yeah, would um, yeah. have been packed, but the weather was horrible. it was fifty degrees and raining and windy and oh, windy, no. and we played all night for probably four or five people sitting at yeah. the bar, and but we still had fun. We yeah. had a great time because. At that point, it's basically like... It's uh, practice. <laughs> well, we actually
2: right. did do yeah. some free jamming. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> you know, <'cause> yeah. <laughs> It was basically yeah. Steve and his family yeah. and one or two other people.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, when I was with uh, Doc Rogers and the Rock Dodgers, which was kind of a southern country music and, mm-hmm. you know, some old folk tunes like John Prine stuff. When I was with them one time, we played up in Seacore, Illinois, underneath a big army tent for like a 4th of July festival and it was approximately 100 degrees inside the tent and so everybody was in the bar next to the tent and we had to play a three hour show and there was two people that sat right up front and they were the only people in the tent besides us oh. and at the end of the night the guy, one of the, the guy stood up with his wife and he stood up and he sat $20 on the stage and he said Best darn music we've had here in years, and they it off down the street, and we're just like sweaty, and you know nobody heard us. Two people, two people. But you play your heart out. Yeah. You play your heart out.
1: No it's two or two thousand. They're not all going to be sold out. Yeah. You yeah. still have fun. Give it your all every time.
2: Absolutely, absolutely often thought about, you know, if we ever retire or get the lottery, I think me and my brother, cause he's in construction and we would get a shop and we would, we would build things we wanted. Not like what everybody else wanted. We would build the stuff we want to build. And that would be fun because there would be no pressure, no timeline. We'd just show up work. Just
0: freedom to do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. heaven.
2: <laughs> I love my my cabinet shop, but it there is pressure. There's it is response. A business, yeah. yeah, it's a business. Yeah. It's straight up, it's a business. Sure, you know. So, but yeah, I used to have the passion that I have here twenty years ago, but I like I said, I still love it. It'll it'll keep going. It's it's kind of feeding itself, but the passion. I I get up and I'm thinking, how soon can I get done with work so I can go play music? Honest to God, you guys feel the same way?
1: Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. I, I look forward to our practices. I really yeah. do. Yeah. And we uh, we don't skimp out on practices. I mean, I don't know how frequent other bands have practices, but we practice at least once a week, if not twice a week. Usually, consistently. Yeah, twice. Yeah. yeah.
3: At least three hours a time at a time. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And uh, we're constantly talking, you know, sending videos back and forth. Hey, what about this song? What about this song? You know, because we really researched the obscure rockabilly stuff that was never released, but is now on YouTube, you know, by by somebody from, you know, Europe that somehow got a whole treasure trove of stuff that was brought over. It's incredible how much stuff's out there right now. So we're always trying to share that back and forth.
0: Here's an interesting, uh, something that hit me. Have you guys ever rejected a song?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, In terms of... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah,
3: we have. There's a lot of stuff that we would like to play that we can't play because it's so guitar heavy. Real intricate lead work. Lead guitar heavy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Without a, a fourth person to do that guitar work, we just can't do it. And there's a lot of songs we would love to do Because the Rockabilly catalog is immense once you dig into it. But we we just can't. Yeah.
0: You know? Interesting. Okay,
1: one last question. Where can we experience your artwork? Well, we are on Facebook. Um, We post uh, both our videos from our performances as well as our next upcoming show dates on our Facebook page. Uh, It's Union Avenue. If you just search Union Avenue Rockabilly on Facebook, you can find okay. it there.
0: I will put links in the descriptors. Yep. Awesome. We're
1: also on YouTube. Again, if you search Union Avenue Rockabilly, we're on YouTube. Okay. We're on uh, Instagram as well. Okay. Our handle is Union Avenue Band. Okay.
3: Um, we've got upcoming show. I don't know when this will air, but we've got plenty of upcoming shows okay. that you can see on our Facebook page. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Um,
2: we we Chris or I do events, and uh, so usually at least a week in advance. Yeah. Okay. Facebook event. But yeah, we're we're booked up to well, we've got almost what two gigs a month. Yeah. So two
3: or three gigs, and we try and split them between, if at all possible, one in Bloomington and one somewhere outside of Bloomington. So that we're not constantly just barraging the people just, of Loomiton. not just
1: a local band, yeah, right? We don't want to saturate the yeah. Bloomington scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got some.
3: We've got a show coming up in Springfield. We're going to try and get back down to the champaign Urbana area. We really enjoyed playing at the Rose the Rose Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, we had a good time there. Yep. and we're um, doing
2: uh, the Make uh, Music Normal the Parks and Rec thing this Friday, but then the following Tuesday we had an opportunity to open up for Wayne Hancock in Bloomington so we're, wow. just, we're doing, so we're doing be, that so we're to that was one of those that. yeah I don't care if we just played last night we're still doing it <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. yeah and that'll be our first time uh opening up for, for a, a national for act a band, for a band for a anybody act. Yeah. yeah but yeah a national act and so people are gonna come so one more step in the, right and then the big uh, picture people yeah. are gonna come to see him and then subsequently they'll discover that we're pretty good too yeah, yeah, so. I hope.
2: It's a lot of credibility when we're doing that. We're doing Nashville. Sure, We're doing our consistent gigs. You know, I mean, it's it's Just great if it. you're playing here or there. But when outside people say, oh, yeah. wow, you guys are playing a lot, you know, and, you know, you, you, you can't keep playing if you don't sound good. Right. You know, and again, I'm not trying to get a big head, but, you know, we, we practice hard, you know. Yeah.
0: But it's exciting that yeah. you guys that the success you guys have, yeah, it have is. garnered in a year's time is hard to believe. Yeah, we're very grateful.
3: I've never been in a band that's moved this quickly.
2: I, you know, I wanted to say earlier. I think a lot of that too, because both me and Steve are business owners. You know, and Chris has got his own little niche in in the group. So I think between the three of us, there's like three major forces coming together. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, I've been around. He knows a lot more people than I do. But, you know, we we pull our resources. And it's like, oh, we know this guy that knows that guy. Call him. And same thing here. He's done some shows at some of the clubs. So he's got that influence. So right. between the three of us, it's just a no-brainer, you know, why we're not here. Or why we're here, you know. Right.
3: So, And uh, a little secret surprise that your listeners will know about that the rest of our fans don't know about is... July 9th, we're headed to a professional recording studio up near Chicago to start cutting tracks to either make a CD or possibly a vinyl 45. (laughs) A vinyl 40, something you can sell at the shows. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh,
0: Because it is
3: great. It's correct for
0: the uh, the genre. For the genre. That's great. So, uh, like in in a week, two weeks, you're heading up there. It's coming up. Yeah. Yeah, and by the time this hits the airway you will have done this you probably will have done it
3: yeah so we're going to go up there we're going to record right now we believe what we're going to do is we're going to record and do the 45 and then have to go up for another recording sessions to fill out uh, a full CD and then release those Um, yeah we're excited about it that is exciting and
1: uh, it's uh, the the place that we're recording at uh, has a lot of actual vintage equipment, both microphones and actual like sound mixing and tape decks from the '50s. A lot of the same models and microphones uh, that they used at Sun Studios. So you're going to go full scale, full scale to
0: tape. time warp kind of uh, thing. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we actually analog oh. tape and the we actually thing.
3: had talked about going to Memphis and recording at Sun Studios, oh. um, but the price of that. For where we're at right now, that maybe, can wait. That, that can wait. Maybe next year. Right. <laughs> maybe <laughs> next year. Yeah. Exactly. But that that is a, a a real opportunity because they they after the tours are over during the day, they record it in there all night long, and so wow. we could do uh, an album of you know covers of unreleased Sun music at Sun Studios oh. and release that. Either on vinyl or maybe on you know CD as well, and then of course, the whole thing with uh, vinyl is that you also get to give your uh, the the fans that buy the vinyl get uh, download codes so they can get digital. off Oh, off the so internet. they can have yeah. the. They get the vinyl and they also get they can pull digital. Little code with like a QR. Yeah, a little QR code. Download on the link, you know, for the MP3 file. Welcome
1: to the modern age, I
0: guess. Right. Best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Because it's when you're when you're trying to figure out how to get your music out there for your fans, you know, everybody says, well, CDs are dead. Well, what do you what do you sell at the at the shows? But I think the forty five, the wax forty five is
0: genius with the QR code. Oh yeah. That's brilliant. So
3: that's That's super cool. That's That's how exciting. Get our art out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we will
0: definitely highlight this.
2: And when we were in Nashville, they we had a merch table, but Steve was saying that uh, a lot of folks were kind of like looking around because they didn't see the forty the 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 music the vinyl. We weren't shirts and stuff, but they wanted the music. They they wanted wanted the the vinyl. yeah. Yeah. So that was a good indication. Like, yeah, we probably should do this. Yeah. You know.
3: You know, I was thinking before this uh, interview started. I'm like, I don't think we're nerds, and now after talking and listening, <laughs> we're nerds. We're nerds, man. Yep. You
0: are complete yeah. art nerds, and uh, no shame. No, thank no, no, no. you. No shame in it. That's part of my podcast mission. You know, let's bring the art to the world and be proud of who we are and the geeks that we are. Oh yeah, gentlemen. Thank you very Very much thank for you. tonight. I had a great time. Awesome. So yeah. We and we will, like I said, you can. I'll put the links down in the descriptors. They can find you on Facebook and Instagram, and what was the old? YouTube? YouTube, yeah, yeah. Go to YouTube. Listen to these guys; they're amazing.
3: Or we could, uh, well, they can come to your house. Well, right? They could. They <laughs> Absolutely. Could. Or we could send you a digital. You could stick on the backside of your podcast.
0: Uh, send me a digital, and I will put it in the intro, over the voice under the voiceover. Yeah. Instead of my yeah. regular one, but I'll put it on in. Uh, we've got. It or five don't we at least yeah, we got some stuff uh, we could send you yeah please do please do but I'll put it in there uh, so yeah thank you guys very much and more power to you. come see us come see them. go see them. thanks for hanging around and geeking out with us if you enjoyed the show hit the like and subscribe buttons and more importantly join the conversation and leave us a message or comment we'd love to hear about your nerdy art thanks again and join us next week for more art nerds
4: Who you been loving since I've been gone
0: Long time man with a little rhythm,
4: good for nothing.